0: Mark chapter 13, you can open up your Bibles there, and we're going to just camp there today and uh, look at this chapter. The servant will come again, and aren't you glad? Well, four of us are anyway. Seriously, aren't you glad that the servant king promised to come again? It is the great hope that we carry with us, and uh, I, uh, we skipped this chapter because we got to uh, Easter, and then we had a guest, and we took a bit of a left turn there, but I wanted always to get back to this chapter uh, to finish off our series. I think it's too important to skip, and to be honest, I just don't think we talk about this enough, and so I think it's important that we do. Mark chapter 13, just for, your, uh, just for your own info, we're not going to look at them today, but there's two sort of parallel chapters in the Gospels that coincide with Mark chapter 13. they are Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24, and so if you want to do some more reading, you can read those two chapters, uh, Luke 21 and Matthew 24, along with uh, Mark 13, and the three of them... Uh, basically are uh, are a set that go together. The Bible clearly says that Jesus is going to come again. One great day, he's going to come again. In Acts chapter 1, put it up, Acts chapter 1 verse 9, it says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Next one. There we go. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. There's multiple times where this is said. This is just one of them. But The return of Christ and the end of the world, it's been a great topic uh, for a couple thousand years, probably. Uh, It's been debated, and all the issues have been looked at, and at the end of the day, let me tell you, no one knows a darn thing. Really. No one knows when he's coming. No one knows all the details. We debate certain things that we think are true, but... Uh, there's so many opinions on how all the details are going to unfold. They've they've been uh, years ago. People used to get into the tribulation debate. Then we got into the millennium debate, and we got into all kinds of all kinds of things. But I I want to try to keep it practical, and I wanna I wanna encourage us today as we get started. I want to caution us, and not just not just for today, but as you move forward and you're reading prophecy and, and studying things and reading things that people are saying, I, I want to caution us uh, two, about two things, basically. There are two extremes that I find happen when it comes to this kind of stuff. On one hand, the first extreme is some obsess over biblical prophecy. They, they try to fit every event into, into this timeline, every news headline, Every president, oh, now Obama's the Antichrist. No, now now Trump's the Antichrist. Now, you know, they try to fit everything into this package, and I think it goes too far. Every news headline, every earthquake, everything has to fit into this, this box that they're trying to, 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 to figure out, and I think most of the time it gets too extreme. Now, the other extreme is at the other end, the exact opposite. The other extreme is to ignore the whole thing completely to 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 trivialize it, to avoid talking about it to to just uh pretend that it's not happening, that our world is not careening towards some fatal end. I, I think that it's foolish for us to get that extreme as well. I think when Jesus is teaching here in mark in Mark th- uh, chapter thirteen. He's revealing some details about what is yet to come. But he also wants it to be practical. He doesn't just give these, these words and these teachings so that people can debate them for 2,000 years. I think that there's a point, there's a practical point, and sometimes we miss it because we, we, we get caught up in some of the minute details that at the end of the day nobody can prove a right or wrong anyway. They're kind of interesting to talk about, but today I want to try to, to, to find the practical point that I think Jesus has a practical point in Mark 13 that he doesn't want us to miss. In verse 9, we're going to get there in a second, but in verse 9 he says that he says, when these things begin to happen, watch out. And you'll, you'll see that term throughout this chapter multiple times. Watch out, pay attention, Wake up, open your eyes, look out, watch out. He says it again and again and again. Verse 23, he says, watch out, I've warned you ahead of time about this. He said, verse 33, you don't know the time, so be on your guard. Stay alert, keep watch. He says it again and again and again. In fact, I look at Mark thirteen thirty-five to 37. He says, you too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. This is a practical nugget that a lot of people miss. He says, I don't want you... To miss this. He is coming. And I don't want you to be asleep. You don't know when he's coming. You'll see some signs. You'll see the time in general that it's drawing closer. But you won't know when the master returns. And so pay attention and be on your guard. Don't be sleeping. Be about your father's business. Pay attention. Notice what's going on around you. And as his return draws closer, he's saying... You must stay close to me. You've got to stay closer to me. As the world gets dark, the worst thing we can do is get further away from God. Amen? As we get closer, the best thing we can do is to get as close to him as possible and to stay there and not to to drift off of that position. This is what he's calling us to. This chapter contains things that have already been fulfilled, and some that are still yet to be fulfilled. When he was speaking these words to the disciples, everything he said was yet to be fulfilled. But now we look back 2,000 years later, and we see the temple being destroyed and some other details that have taken place. But even now, even now, some things have been fulfilled, and some things are still yet to come. And I don't want to get into all the differing opinions, but I, I, like I said, I want to try to keep it practical today. Alistair Begg, I read this quote by Alistair Begg, who's an interesting writer. He said this about prophecy. He said, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. Okay, this is significant. Okay, I want you to get this. Write this down, get this, all right? When we're talking about prophecy, and you're trying to understand, to keep it simple, what is, what What am I reading here? He says, look, when it comes to prophecy, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And I think there's so much wisdom in that. I, 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 what does this obviously say to us? We don't have to debate, well, what, what if it means this? Well, what if it, no, no, That we can debate that. But what does it obviously say? What is it obviously teaching? What things are clear? What is the main point? What is plain to see? How does this affect us? How does it affect the way we live? How does this affect the way we understand? All of these things, I think, come into play. So, we're going to break up this chapter into three big chunks, all right? And uh, we won't be here all day, I promise. But, uh, and this is, this is deep, this is deep, all right? Three big chunks. The beginning, the middle, and the end. Okay? I, I, I prayed for hours to get those three right there. right. But this is how we're going to break it up. The beginning, the middle, and the end. So, so uh, point one is the beginning. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 13, we're going to read. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is, this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it's not you who will be speaking but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There is a ton of stuff in there. A key verse in this whole, in, in, this, in this first beginning part, is verse 8. And verse eight talks about it, it says this. I just it says, "The nation will war against nation, but this is the part it says, "But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come." Now, any of you who've had children, ladies I'm talking about, or men who have been there, you know when birth pains begin. It's fairly obvious. But you also know that when birth pains begin, unfortunately, it doesn't always mean that the baby's going to come right away. Some people, like Canaan, you know, takes like 25 hours to come out, you know, and but you, but you know that when the pain comes, it starts, and you know that as the birth pains get shorter, get closer together and more intense, that the event is getting closer, right? Right? And so he's saying this is the first of the birth pains. This is the beginning. He says, understand this. It doesn't mean that the baby is going to come right away. doesn't mean that this is the first. It says more is to come. But this is when you'll see the beginning. This is the beginning. And so he says that. This is the first of the birth pains. In this section, Jesus basically predicts three main things, all right? So he predicts, uh, he predicts that the temple will be destroyed, he predicts the rise of terrible events, and he predicts um, uh, the persecution for many of his followers. Those are the three things. So look at these quick. For the first, he predicts that the temple would be destroyed. He actually said this more than once. Uh, he said it actually before in Luke 19, verse 41. He said, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. This is what Jesus was saying. And he's talking in, uh, and maybe 30 to 40 years later in 70 AD, this actually took place. The Romans came into Jerusalem and to quell a rebellion against, uh, uh, against their, uh, their hold on the city. They came in and they just destroyed everything. They destroyed the temple, they killed people, they just massacred everything. And Jesus is predicting this about 30, 40 years before it happened. Herod actually built this temple that he's talking about. Herod was a master architect and a master builder. He was a crazy lunatic, but very gifted when it came to to building things. He built this temple to actually impress and to appease the Jews. They wanted one, and so he built it to, uh, to, to gain their favor. He expanded it to an enormous size. It was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. It it actually took up about one-sixth of the land mass of the entire city of Jerusalem. That's how big it was. It was huge. It was about 20 stories high. It used huge pieces of limestone that were covered with gold. And some of the stones weighed more than 600 tons apiece. They were all cut and fitted together by hand. It was a marvel of a, of a building. People would come in the, and, and as you were walking up into the temple and the sun would hit it, it would look like it was gleaming and it was just, just a sight to behold. And uh, the Jews were very proud of their temple. It was a great sight and a great joy to them. And I'm sure that the disciples were really shocked out of their brain to hear, to hear Jesus say that one day this great temple, not even one stone will be on top of each other. This this whole thing is coming down. This whole thing will cease to exist. Right? And like I said, about 70 AD, the Romans smashed it to the ground. But understand, it's hard to know where... It seems like the disciples at, at times were were thinking that the destruction of the temple was going to happen at the same time as, as sort of the destruction of the world. That's That's how they saw this temple. We understand now that not to be true, but... Jesus is talking to them not just about the temple destruction, but he's talking about his second coming as well. That, that the destruction of the temple, understand it, you'll see it throughout this chapter multiple times. I'll point out a few things, but the destruction of the temple is like a foreshadow. It's a foreshadow of things that are to come. The disciples want to know when all these things are going to take place. When is the end coming? When is all this going to happen? And so Jesus predicts that the temple would be destroyed. Second, he predicts that the rise of terrible events. He says there's going to be mass spiritual confusion. 13.6. Uh, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. It, it, it's going to become popular in this, in this beginning as the birth pains begin. It's going to become popular for spiritually blind people to follow spiritually blind leaders. There, there will be false leaders on the rise and people will follow them and listen to them and believe them. And this is a mark of, of the beginning of the birth pains. He says there will be political and military conflict. In uh, verse 7, you don't put it up, but he says there's wars. There'll be rumors of wars. There'll be threats of wars that will happen, and it will grow and grow more and more intense as the birth pains begin to take effect, right? He says there will be natural disasters. In, uh, in verse 8, he says there'll be earthquakes. There'll be famines. These things will happen. They are the first of the birth pains with more to come as we draw closer to that day. He predicts this rise of terrible events. Thirdly, he says he, said, he predicts persecution for his followers. Now, we know some of this persecution happened shortly after, shortly after uh, Pentecost, really, when many of the Christians in the diaspora were persecuted and they went everywhere, all over the place. But the beautiful thing is they took Jesus with them. And so everywhere they went they began to share the gospel. They began to share the love of Christ and the hope that they had. And so Jesus predicts, though, this persecution for his followers. And he says a few things are going to happen. Uh, first, he says persecution is going to lead to many opportunities to share your faith. Look at 13.9. Uh, he says, watch when these things begin to happen. Watch out. You'll be handed over to the synagogues. Our council's beaten in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings. You, we've, we've, we saw... A lot of this happening already because you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Imagine. Persecution and it's the will of God. That's a whole other topic. Let's not get into that. But, but there you see it right there. It's going to give you many opportunities to share your faith. He also says, verse 10, the good news has to go. It must first be preached to all the nations And persecution drove them out. It was necessary to get them out to spread the gospel. It was It's the beginning of the birth pains that the good news spread to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He says, the Holy Spirit will speak through you, uh, 13 and 11. But when you're arrested and stand trial, don't worry about what you're going to say. Just say what God tells you at the time, for it's not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you're going to be standing, you're fishermen, common people, blue collar, uneducated men and women. And you're standing in front of the most respected, brilliant minds, highly regarded authorities of the day. And you're going to be intimidated and scared and you won't know what to say. But don't worry. For I will speak through you. This is what he says. So listen, he says, there's going to be persecution. Persecution. It's going to lead to opportunities to share your faith. The good news is going to go to every nation. The Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. There is coming a day, there is coming a day that when those who identify with Jesus will be persecuted. We are living in a day now where Christianity is the the most persecuted religion on the face of the earth. And that's just a fact. There are more people, more Christians dying every day for their faith. Than at any time in the point of any time that we've ever seen. And so it's it's again a sign, the beginning of birth pains. Mark 13, 13, he says, and everyone will hate you because you're my followers, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look what he says, John 15, 20. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. So he's saying, it's coming. It's coming. So you can get off your cloud. You can get your head stuck in the sand. But during these days, this will be a reality. And it will come upon us, the beginning of birth pains. Now, the middle, point two. I did pretty good. That only took like 10 minutes, right? So in the middle, here we are, uh, verse uh, 14 to 18. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing where he should not be. Read or pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. Now we've taken the next step. It's gotten more serious. This object that, that causes desecration. Some of you, some of the translations you'll know. I know old church people, you'll know this abomination of desolation. How many know that phrase? You've come to church for a while. That's why. Yeah. Anyway, so this object that causes desecration or the abomination of desolation, right? It's Jesus is referring here to the book of Daniel. And there's several times throughout history when the temple was desecrated. Uh, I'll just give you a couple. The Syrians did it back in 167 BC. They came and they... They, 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 they just desecrated the temple in horrible ways. He says, Jesus says it's going to happen again in 70 AD. That, we, that we, Now we know we can look back and say, yes, it happened. They came and smashed the temple and desecrated it. Uh, it, it says, the, but again, understand that these events are, 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 again, a foreshadowing of the final desecration that the Antichrist will do. And so Daniel 9, 26 and 27. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have, to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. So here's, here's what's going on here. The Jews reject Jesus they reject the true Messiah but one day they're going to accept a false one and this false one is going to make a deal this 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 antichrist is going to make a deal with the Jews and they're going to build this temple or it might already be built I don't know but they're going to be in this temple they make a deal with the antichrist and after three and a half years the antichrist breaks this agreement He desecrates the temple, and he begins to force the world to worship him and worship him only. And so Jesus gives a special warning to the believers at that time. He says, listen, get out as fast as you can. Get out. If you're in the field, run away. If you're on the roof, jump off, hopefully, and and run. Although that might break an ankle, I don't know. But get out and get out and run and get excuse me, <clears throat> and get out as fast as you possibly can because this will be bad. This this will be not a good time for you. It's, 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 he's just saying, get out as fast as you possibly can. In fact, it's the same warning that he gave the Jews when when Rome was going to attack Israel. He, pre- he foreshadowed this by warning them to get out. Uh, look at Luke 21, verse 20. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, this is, this is uh, the Romans he's talking about, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills, those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. It's the same warning that he gave. When the Romans come in 70, guys, in 30, 40 years, they're going to come and they're going to smash everything. And when they're doing it, get out, get out. And now he's saying it's a foreshadow of when, in, when the Antichrist comes. The same type of thing will happen. This attack in 70 AD is like a foreshadow of what will happen in the middle of the tribulation. Now, the end. I'm doing remarkably well. Aren't I? Am I doing remarkably well? It's pretty good so far, okay? Alright, so the end. Point three, Mark 13, it's 19 to 27. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. That's why they got to get out. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out, I have warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. This is the end. In Revelation, the end or the last half of the tribulation is actually referred to as the wrath of God. And uh, it, it, it will be a time of absolute calamity absolute destruction, absolute judgment. Things that the world have never seen before will take place in those days. You can read about it if you want. Make a note at Revelation 15 and 16, those two chapters, and they talk about that last half of the tribulation. There will be false messiahs, there will be false prophets leading people astray and even doing miracles right to the very end. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. You think a miracle is a sign of God. Not always. People doing miracles and leading others astray. And the tribulation, of course, will climax with incredible signs in the heavens. God will gather all of his children together and the enemy will be defeated forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. That is the end. That is the end. That's how it ends. Now, the chapter doesn't end there. He goes on to tell two stories. Um, and these are kind of interesting stories and I didn't want to exclude them. So let's read them. Mark thirteen twenty eight. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, When you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Tell other people that, will you? Well, he's coming back in September. Only the Father knows. He's coming back. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated, here's a second story, by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work that they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Cool story. So Jesus doesn't want his disciples, by the way, here's the practical point, okay? Jesus doesn't want his disciples getting so caught up with all these prophecies that they forget the calling and the responsibility that is placed on them for the present. Someone said yes. This is what's important. So he closes his teaching with two very simple but yet very, very practical stories. The first story emphasizes understanding that his return is coming closer. You see that in verse 29. His return is coming closer. But the second story emphasizes the point that you don't know when the return will be. You know that it's coming, but you don't know when. It's not a contradiction. You can know that it's coming, you know, but you just don't know when. That's why... That's why setting dates is always wrong. Wrong. That that No one knows when. And when people set dates, they immediately lose credibility because it's very clear that no one knows. Jesus doesn't even know. How do you expect to know? Just saying. You know, just saying. So, only the Father knows. So, People who are living close to this time, or are, they're, they're living close to the time of his return. And, and I, I think we see it now, and I think most of you would agree, that you're able to see and understand the signs that are around us. We see things taking place in our world. We see some of these beginnings of birth pains that have really begun a long time ago, that these things are happening now. But the second story reminds us to stay alert and to keep doing what we're called to do because you don't know exactly when he's coming back. So it's like the master's servants in the story. The master gives them assignments to do and then goes on a long journey but says, keep watch for you don't know when I'm coming back. And when I come back, I want to find you faithful. Doing what you're called to do. Doing what you've been told to do. Doing what you've been gifted to do. Do what you're supposed to do. And don't worry. Just yes, You're watchful, yes. But you don't have to, you know, it's like John, I think it was John Wesley. Somebody said, well, what would what would you do if you knew that the Lord was coming back tomorrow? He said, the same thing exactly that I'm going to do. I'm not going to change one darn thing. This is... This is the attitude that he had. He was, it was a, it's, a, it's a long story, but I read this thing about, I think it was Wesley. I could be wrong, but I think it was Wesley. He was working in his garden or something. And somebody said, what are you doing planting, you know, tomatoes or something? And what if the Lord comes back tomorrow? And he goes, I'm going to still plant my tomatoes today. You know, like we're just called to live that out. You know what I'm saying? We're just called to live that out. Whether he comes tomorrow, he'll find me faithful. Whether he comes next week, he'll find me faithful. Whether I die before he returns, then I die and I finish well and I fought the good fight and I die faithful. This is the point. This is the practical point for us that we shouldn't miss. People who are living close to the time of his return will be able to see and understand the signs that are around us. But, but the second story is so, is so pragmatic for us. It reminds us to stay alert. Keep doing what you're called to do. Like the master's servant, he gives us our assignments, right? He gives us our jobs to do. And he expects us to be faithful when he's gone or while he's gone and to keep at it until he returns. Look, uh, just look at 36 again. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Sleeping isn't just going to bed. Sleeping is, you know, sleeping. Being caught off guard, you know, not doing what you want to have done, not being found faithful, sleeping on the job when you should have been working, when you should have been doing what he's called you to do. This is the idea. But this this is the practical side. Of this whole end time prophecy stuff. That as we read this. There's really two things. That I want you to take away from this. Is. uh, There's so many details here. That we could get into. And maybe another time. But I just wanted to give you an overview of this chapter. and, uh, and, And get something. That you can walk home with. First. You've got to know him. You've got to know him. You have to know him. If you don't know him, you've got, to, you've got to find him. You've got to discover him. You've got to welcome him into your life. This is this is a key, key thing. You can't have the hope of his return. You won't have the hope of heaven. You won't have his strength and love. You won't be able to do any of this without him. You've got to know him. You've got to have him. You can't have that hope without him. And so this is the important first step that must be must be done we must know him we must receive him before it's too late and believers your task is simply to be faithful and to live out the calling that's on your life it's really just that simple we 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 can get caught up in details and caught up in this and that and the other thing but at the end of the day If you already know him, then your job is just to be faithful and to do what you've been called to do, to live out the calling that's on your life. You've got to use your gifts, your time, your talent, your money that that he's given you to run your race. You've got to finish well. This is his point. You're to impact as many people as he gives you opportunity to, right? You, You will either die before he returns or you'll meet him in the sky. But your mission remains the same, to keep doing what you're called to do. He wired you and gifted you and has given you a job and an assignment to do, and you're to run that race and to finish well until the day that he returns or the day that he calls you home. This is our practical job. And so when we want to get into all the details and the debates of this, it's, it, it, we, we can But don't get away from something as simple and as basic that that Jesus himself is emphasizing at the end of Mark chapter 13. He says all kinds of weird and interesting things in this chapter. And then he closes the chapter by giving two incredibly practical stories. One, he says, remember, you, you don't know when he's coming. And two... Remember to just stay at it until he comes. This is how Jesus closes off his teaching on prophecy. Don't you think that's significant? That we sometimes get caught up in all the details and we forget how he ended the sermon, how he, how he ended the teaching part. This is, this, is, this is what he wanted us to get, most of all. Listen, you're not going to understand this, that, or the other thing. You know, this and that, you're da da da. We see through a glass darkly, all this stuff. But here's what you can get. Right, You don't know when he's coming. So just stay faithful. Run the race. Live out the calling on your life. And you'll be quite fine when the day comes. And this is the practical end. To use your time, your gifts, your time, your gifts, all this, your talent, your money, all of it. So Jesus said, watch for him and stay faithful. Because one day, one day. He's going to burst through the clouds. I've been, I've been reading uh, a lot about heaven lately. I've, I'm sure some sermons will, jump, will, will, be, will, will pop out. But you know, when I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I read things like, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those that remain on the earth alive, we will be caught up to meet him in the air. This is the great hope. This is why he says, when people die, I want you to grieve. He says, I want you to grieve, but I want you to understand that you don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. Right? That you grieve with hope because the loved ones that love the Lord that have gone ahead of you one great day they will come bursting out of the graves and their body and their spirit will be reunited somehow and our bodies will be turned into a glorified body and one day we will meet him in the sky. The and so whether we die and we wait in paradise until that day or we're caught up as, as we live on this earth, the point is this, that you must know him, right? Right? And the second point is, is after you know him, just keep serving him. Just keep doing what you're called to do. Just keep being faithful. Keep using your time, your talent, your resources, everything that he's gifted you with. Just keep being faithful. You're you're not going to get caught sleeping. When he arrives, you say, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. Come. Come today because I'm ready. Come tomorrow because I'm going to be ready. I'm going to stay faithful and stick at it until you come again. Or until you close my eyes for the last time and I will wait for that great reunion in the sky. But one great day it's going to happen. He said, stay alert, keep watch, stay faithful, keep at it for one day I will come bursting through the clouds. And every name, every every tongue will speak his name. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. And that will be a day of days that this world has never seen. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Whatever you do, Lord, just keep us faithful. Keep us on track. May we not be deceived by false messiahs and false teaching and pride and arrogance. But may we stay on track. May we stay, Lord, awake and alert. May we stay active and useful for your kingdom. For that day will come and we will be so grateful that we did. It will be the only thing that matters on that day. Nothing else will count. One day. Our great God is going to come bursting through the clouds. Oh, even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know that John finishes Revelation. I think it's the second, the very second last verse of the entire Bible. And he says, even so, come. After he talks about everything that he's seen, of all the wonders, of millions of things that he, he, he couldn't possibly comprehend at the end of it this is what he got this is what he got at the end of the book read it last chapter of revelation he says even so come i don't get it all but i know this one day my great god is going to come bursting through the clouds and i want to be ready and ready and able and active and alert for that day when he does and so listen be encouraged today Be encouraged today. Know him if you don't know him. And serve him with a passion until he calls you home. Amen? Amen. Amen.